uh, everybody's trying to figure out how to use Ikigai framework or the, you know, this uh, concept in context like, again, again, some people may be looking to do a career change. Great. That's one way to use it. Uh, in other aspects, the people are truly looking for that purpose in life. That's great. But then I'm starting to think about, okay, this concept of Ikigai could be applied in so many different situations for the better, you know, for the betterment of people's lives. Find your Ikigai at ikigaitribe.com. My guest today on episode 77 of the Ikigai podcast is Kei Tsuda, a full-time Ikigai scholar, researcher, blogger, and facilitator of the LinkedIn Ikigai study group. Kei shares his musings with anyone interested in learning and applying the Japanese concept of Ikigai on LinkedIn and also on medium.com. Kei is an Ikigai consultant and uses engagement strategies and methodologies to assist individuals and organizations in cultivating change resilience. Thank you for joining me today, Kay. Hi, Nick. Thanks for inviting me on your podcast. It's my pleasure. We recently bumped into each other via LinkedIn, and we've had a few Zoom calls together. So before we dive into Ikigai, do you want to give our audience some background? I know you were born in Japan, but if I recall quickly, you've lived most of your adult life in the US. Yes. So I did a little bit of a math myself. And uh, I realized I've spent 28 years living in the U.S. and 22 years in Japan. I just gave away my age, I think. <laughs> uh, but the, I started my adult life in Japan, actually. So it, it kind of um, I grew up in Japan until age of 15, 16. Then I had a desire to become an astronaut. And back then, you know, the Japan space programs and things weren't in great shape. So my desire or the aspirations kind of led me to go to the U.S. for higher education. But when I finished the college years, um, fortunately at the time, my father was terminally ill. So that brought me back to Japan. And, you know, looking back, in a way, right? I think that shaped my adult life, starting in Japan, and that allows me to basically be able to communicate at at that kind of professional level in both languages. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And then I found my way back to the U.S. eventually, and had a career in kind of an information technology for twenty, three, four years. So that's kind of the my upbringing to the adult life. Okay. <laughs> to 50. <laughs> well, I'll, yep. I'll let you in on a secret. I'm turning 52 in a few days. So <laughs> welcome to the 50 well, Club. <laughs> thank you. And that so makes good. you my senpai, <laughs> including <laughs> in the age, age yeah, wise. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Well, um, I'm sure you're, you're my senpai in many ways on many of these uh, Japanese. Um, cultural concepts, including Ikigai. So I'm really excited to dive in. Yeah. So growing up in Japan, 
Did you ever give much thought to Ikigai? Because obviously I know that most Japanese don't. You are right with the assessment. You know, when I was growing up, I didn't think of it much. I mean, I've been introduced to the word, right, and how it gets used through my conversations with my grandparents. Probably that's the set of people who used it most. And typically in the context of how they are interacting with me, the grandchild, right? They, they basically feel that they, you know, having that close communication with kids, the grandchildren is part of their ikigai. So vaguely remember that, oh, you know, I, I'm one of their ikigai. That's, that's the extent. Yeah, I mean, I remember when living in Japan, I can't really recall hearing Ikigai other than a few occasions when I was introduced to it. But I remember hearing Yarigai, like yeah. almost at least every week, maybe you know, potentially every day. So that, that seems far more common. Mm-hmm. Well, how would you say most Japanese perceive Ikigai? So I think a lot of the folks in Japan would agree, I think you, know, you and I both think about this, right, um, a lot, that Ikigai is something we feel, naturally. And in some cases, I think we stumble upon it. We don't necessarily seek as much. Uh, some people do, but I think in general, people don't really look for it. It just, they feel on a daily basis. And then maybe at some point, they start to realize that, ooh, you know, I may be pursuing my Ikigai. It's interesting because I guess if you're pursuing it or seeking it, it would suggest you don't have it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that's and right. If you're not seeking it, yeah, it's obviously something that's part of your life, but I imagine even in that context, most people wouldn't be thinking, oh, you know, this hobby of mine's my ikigai. They'd just be thinking, oh, you know, I really enjoy this hobby or I really enjoy seeing my, my grandchildren. I think it's, we have more of like a more lighthearted stance towards the word and the concept. And we don't necessarily kind of write it on the yeah. wall, right? And, and basically try to pursue it every day. Well, you certainly don't put it in the center of a Venn diagram. And so that's my next question. Sure. What are your thoughts <laughs> on the Ikigai Venn diagram that's incredibly popular on LinkedIn, which I know you're yeah. pretty active on? Yeah, so my initial reaction to it wasn't great, right? <laughs> it was a, somewhat of a shock and disbelief. But the, what's interesting, and this is how I really got caught, you know, got into this research is it was really followed by this self-doubt because as you said it's yeah. so popular so when you search the internet or if you get on a linkedin and connect with the others everyone is sharing that venn diagram and the part of my experience led to you know some search and it just the, this whole screen is full of them and government of Japan and a few other websites is now starting to get associated with this Venn diagram, whether they knew it or not, right, aside. So I started to think that maybe my reaction is wrong. 
Right. So that's why when I started the journey to apply this Ikigai concept to work out what I wanted to do next in my career, in my life, I did force myself to use really. that Venn diagram. Yeah. Mm. It, it's part of me basically says, hey, let's, let's, let's kind of give benefit of the doubt that a lot of people like it. So maybe mm. I should start using that. So that's how I kind of started my research or the journey. Yeah, I remember on one Ikigai. of one of my Ikigai tribe members said that the the Venn diagram is very seductive. You know, it's inspiring. Everyone, almost people would want that dream job. I guess you know would want to be in that sweet spot. And then you add, or you pre- replace purpose with Ikigai, and then it has this um, even greater attraction because there's this element of uh, mystery behind it. <laughs> I agree with that. It's like a, it added that mystique. Yeah. You know, it's like, well, I don't understand that word. Mm-hmm. It's something could be magical. You know, <laughs> let, let me pursue it. Let me find my own. Hey there, Nick Kemp here, and I wanted to touch base and let you know about my new course, the Fine Juriki Guy course, developed in consultation with Japan's leading Ikigai researchers. The Find Your Ikigai course is the only culturally accurate and evidence-based practical guide to the Ikigai concept. If you are interested in learning more about the Find Your Ikigai course, please visit ikigaitribe.com. Now back to the episode. Yeah, I remember seeing it and my initial reaction was, oh, I remember that word, but then it was... But it's, that's not how it was described to me. And uh, I remember showing my wife and she just rolled her eyes and walked off. You know? so, <laughs> even someone today who I've connected with sent me a message saying, oh, Nick, maybe you need to think about trying to, you know, retitle the Venn diagram. And that's actually what I don't want to do. Like I really don't want to spend too much time focusing on the Venn diagram. I want to spend more time exploring Ikigai, both the research, but also the opinions of Japanese and, and non-Japanese who live it in a, in an authentic way. And it sounds like for you, researching Ikigai has become a source of Ikigai or a, a source of serious research. So is that the case? Has it become a serious source of uh, research for you? Yeah, that absolutely is the case. And I have been really fascinated with these systems and theories, even I think as far back as I can remember, maybe elementary school days. And at first, right, I was, again, applying those kind of a, a desire to learn systems and theories towards engineering and towards the aerospace, yeah. But then something happened when I actually started my adult life, and I actually did not pursue aerospace in career. Like, I didn't become an astronaut. <laughs> I mean, if I, if I have, you probably you kind of know or see me on a TV somewhere, right? But that didn't happen. I realized that I'm more of a, like a people person, and interacting with people gave me joy. And later I learned that the, the, what I, like my motivation comes from learning the systems and theories 
and applying those things towards the services of people. And if you think about this Ikigai research and the situation that they were into, uh, everybody's trying to figure out how to use Ikigai framework or the, you know, this uh, concept in context like, okay, again, some people may be looking to do a career change. Great. That's one way to use it. Uh, in other aspects, the people are truly looking for that purpose in life. That's great. But then I'm starting to think about, okay, this concept of Ikigai could be applied in so many different situations for the better, you know, for the betterment of people's lives. So that got me going. And as I was learning to apply it for, for myself, the one idea came to my head and said, well, why don't I start sharing what I'm learning with others? And then I thought about, okay, how do I do that? And again, right, I'm into this systems and theories. So I thought about it for a while, said, well, maybe LinkedIn will be a really good platform because it's available to everyone. I'm still connected to our my network of friends, colleagues from the past, current, and potentially future. And it, it's got these uh, features. I learned uh, last summer that there's like the content you know, features to create articles and so on and so forth. So basically I jumped on and started writing articles and started getting some feedbacks and responses from my close, you know, close friends. And it, it's kind of interesting. It starts to evolve. So the, the, the group of people who were following me first, of course, was the colleagues that I worked with. But then my college buddies, from years back, or even the people I worked with in Japan started to kind of follow and give me, you know, words of encouragement. Hey, keep it going. I, I like what you're doing. All right. And and that and is that now I'm I'm basically every day reading something about Ikigai or related subject. And I'm kind of coming up with a list of articles that I may be able to write uh, in the coming weeks and months. Nice. So that's what's happening right now. I think in my own personal research, I feel I've only scratched the surface. There's so many papers. Mm. Surprisingly, even in English, there's quite a lot of papers I keep finding. And then, of course, there's many more, I think, in Japanese. I, I do see it as Japan's measure of well-being or almost this form of positive psychology once you dive into the research. And that's what makes it interesting. It's for most Japanese just this word they rarely use to, to describe something that's meaningful or purposeful or is important to them and it's something they feel. But then we have this growing body of research and, as you know, one particular lady who we're both big fans of, Miyako Kamiya, who I like to think of as the mother of Ikigai, was this amazing research pioneer. And I know you have read her book, Ikigai Nitsuite. Yes. Would you like to touch on on her and your thoughts of her? And do you think she gets enough recognition in Japan? I say no. I think her her work was. I'm not sure if I'm using a too strong word, but I think it was revolutionary at the time. Yeah, I mean, I was awed by the the content that she captured in her book, and it was published, I believe, in 1966. Yeah. 
so it's it's what is it more is it more than 50 years now ago yeah 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 and all of those you know the, the the characteristics and descriptions that the she gave starting with the fact that i think she's the one who coined the term ikigai kan yeah, i believe yeah. right and, and that is the title of your book too yeah <laughs> that's that's why i titled it and i i have a whole chapter on her yeah absolutely and and yet the, the, her name does not come up too much i mean in going back to the search discussion earlier when you search ikigai right it's again it's i know it is biased towards the english language if you type in ikigai in romaji even when i typed it in in japanese i noticed that the the her book and article does not come towards the top so that means the popularity isn't still there well let's share some of her work I saw you wrote an article on Medium where you introduce her six characteristics of Ikigai. So shall we touch on on them? I think we should. And this is one of those uh, things that the way you search, it will not show up <laughs> because it has not been, you know, discussed in English as much. So in a way, the, the reason for me writing an article specific to this is my way of kind of casting the vote. Right, it's like if I write an article, it may start to show up, and I believe these descriptions, even though it may not resonate at first with so many you know people, but there is something fundamental. There's some value that's in them, and I'm starting to spend my time kind of a pick pick away at it. There are six, but you know maybe I can write six articles following type of thing <laughs> but in this discussion i think we can kind of pick a few of the, the key ones sure that maybe you like or i like and you know discuss about it okay sounds good yeah so we, we should mention in her book she wrote six characteristics of ikigai that kind of helped the reader understand what a source of ikigai is mm-hmm. what one stood out for you as interesting i think the point she makes uh there are two points sorry so the number four and number five. So she says, as a point number five, that ikigai is entirely individualistic, and it cannot be borrowed or imitated. That's a very strong point. And the reason why I pair that with number five is there is, a, I think, strong correlation. So the fifth point she, she brings up is ikigai holds the nature of establishing a value system in the heart of the person who possesses it. Mm. When I read that part, I mean, I got a shock, I mean, positive shock. And and the reason is, before reading her book, I told you earlier, I started kind of uh, organizing my ikigai and how I would go about like visualizing and framing my ikigai. And what I was doing essentially was I was trying to establish a value system of my own. And that was a huge aha moment for me. And if you think about it, why do you have to establish your own system? Because it is entirely individualistic. How, how we view our values, how we view our, mm. what you know, what's more viable or not. It depends on, again, you know, 
most of us have different upbringing, uh, different encounters, the events that shapes your value. And then another factor is that the, the value start to shift or change over time. Time, yes. So this individualistic you know, ikigai also evolves over time. So if you try to, yeah, if you try to stuff that together into a some somewhat very rigid framework, and I think you know Venn diagram somewhat tends to be that way because the idea of the Venn diagram is to force people to think in terms of okay, number of elements, and the famous one happens to have four elements. And I think you kind of hinted it earlier, Nick. Uh, I mean. We can debate that Venn diagram, you know, on and on and on. Like, what should we put in the middle? But then the fact that it's it's a Venn diagram, that's not going to change. Yeah. And my point is, I don't think, I mean, if, if the Venn diagram works for people, great. Right? I don't have anything against that. But I think these value systems need to be framed up in a little bit more loose, malleable, changeable framework. And that's the realization I had. Mm-hmm. And realize that the, the, the Mieko Kamiya has already called it called it out more than 50 years ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I resonated with that one. And at, I mean, I was reading it and I was translating it. And I think initially I was confused because I thought, wow, you're like your entire value system is, is related to Ikigai. And then once I started to reflect on it, I thought, well, if we move away from this idea Ikigai is one thing, and maybe we embrace this idea, as Ken Moggy likes to describe it, a spectrum, that if you're living aligned to your value system, it's most likely you'll, you'll feel Ikigai more often because you'll be doing things that you know resonate with you, that are meaningful. And I often say... When I'm a guest on podcasts, like, yeah, Ikigai starts with your values. And if you're living and expressing your values, you're, you're most likely to feel Ikigai. And if you're living in conflict with values, well, it's going to be very hard for you to feel Ikigai. Right. I actually present these six characteristics in my own program, and it was it was quite hard framing them. I think you've uh, done a good job. So we'll, we'll link to the medium.com article. Thanks for that. And and I'd like to basically work with you to maybe start evolving the discussions a bit and see what we can do to help others understand and use, you know, these concepts. <laughs> yeah. Well, we, we might have a battle on our hands. I've I've seen so many new posts on Ikigai, I think, because of the the new year, and it's all about the Venn diagram. Oh yeah. And then even a few weeks ago I saw someone, some important person presenting at a, I think it was a mental health summit or a wellbeing summit, thousands of people, and he was presenting the Venn diagram as Ikigai. And I thought, oh, <laughs> still got work to do. Well, I, I, can, sh- I, I can share with you my uh, first uh, encounter was, you know, those Ikigai Venn diagram outside of the book and, and uh, internet, right? So essentially, um, I was given access to like a career placement service and comes with these kind of services, our career coaching and, you know, these uh, um, Zoom sessions where you know, many people who are looking for the next 
job and so on and so forth comes online and get, get coached. Well, during the presentation given by the career coach, out comes the <laughs> Ikigai Venn diagram. But the, the unfortunate part is they introduced it, and but then they didn't explain how to use it. So they basically suggested that you can organize your kind of a approach to finding, again, I wouldn't call it Ikigai, I would call it like something like Hatarakigai or your like, you know, better job, right? Introduced the, the diagram and yet the person didn't go into, you know, explaining how. So what I what I did at that time is I chatted with the people who got intrigued by the diagram and said, hey, you know, I, I have been researching this topic. So if you'd like to know about the diagram or Ikigai itself, you know, reach out to me. And sure enough, those folks reached out to me <laughs> through LinkedIn. <laughs> That's good. Uh, asking questions. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting you've you discovered it or you stumbled upon a Venn diagram in a, a training situation. I think uh, Makoto, who you know mm -hmm. and who I've interviewed, he was on a online, I think it was like an online summit, and one of the speakers also presented Ikigai as the Venn diagram. And he he sort of said, oh, the, the, the money aspect of it really made him feel uncomfortable. Mm. So this, this brings us back to Ikigai is something we feel, and I know you believe in that strongly. So would you like to touch on that again? Yes. And and you mentioned, I think, earlier that, uh, and, and this comes from Ken Mogi too, right, that Ikigai is a spectrum. Now, I didn't use that word when I started to research, and the concept I came up was it was a collection. I think it, Ikigai starts to get shaped as a collection of these feelings. And the more you feel it, more often you feel it, maybe, right? Just maybe, it may start to shape into more of that purpose or the direction, you know, faster. So I did come up with a little bit of an example that I may be able to use with, again, like my kids, your kids, uh, you know, or even ourselves who may have grown up using Lego blocks. So Lego block was something I grew up, grew up with. So I consider Lego as kind of a system. It is a system that it's provided as, you know, different pieces of blocks. And of course it comes in different kits, right? So you may like Hogwarts castle. And I, I may like, uh, you know, Millennium Falcon from Star Wars. And of course we can buy the kits, the same one. So we, you may have bought one, I may have bought one. and. Then the Ikigai could look the same at the end when you complete it. But what's different is how you built it or how you're going, you know, going about building it. So like I may just go into my room all by myself and really build the whole thing on like one night, either as a child or as an adult, because these things are now popular amongst adults too. And get it done. Now, that experience that I went through is unique. And it shapes this 
thing called the Millennium Falcon. Now, you may have bought the Millennium Falcon for maybe your your kid, and you may have built it over a course of maybe a week working together, right? I think you have a son, right? So that you like a father son experience. Now you ended up with having a completed Millennium Falcon. Well, so the, the our end result of this maybe the ikigai could look the same but how you achieved or how you brought it together is a completely different experience and that's how i kind of view ikigai nowadays and there's an add-on to this story because you know what happened when especially when we were growing up like i have a, a set of uh, lego set you may have a set and let's say we are good friends. We get together, bring our own Lego sets. You know what happens, yeah? We start exchanging the pieces to make something totally new. So the, the world of Star Wars and world of Harry Potter may come together and we start merging together our creativity and start creating something totally unique. And that is the unique value system. And, you know, the moral of the story here is, yeah, you can have your own unique value system, but when you get together with somebody either like-minded or different-minded, and if you have this system that works, right, it it, it is kind of a pre-made pieces of block that's going to come together easily. And you can put them together, even as a child, and create a whole new world. And I think that is the the world that the ikigai can help describe i mean this highlights two things that i that came to mind one is that yeah ikigai is experiential which um Mm -hmm. dr yasuhiro katira mentioned on episode 28 of the podcast like we we have this experience if it's Ikigai, I guess we feel it. So it's it's meaningful, it's purposeful, it makes us feel good to be alive. And then also this idea of using your creativity and to create something new, which is what Kamiya describes as self-actualization, the joy of creation. And if you yeah, if you make something unique, it's a sort of an emblem of who you are. So even yeah, even if we put together some weird looking spaceship (laughs) it's this expression of who we are and that's a way to self-actualize which i found really refreshing instead of thinking you know we have to be this best version of ourselves all the time so it is experiential and yeah lego i mean imagine for many people lego is a source of ikigai It, it definitely was for my son we we spent a lot of money on <laughs> his Lego sets, uh, you know, 10, 15 years ago. And, yeah, I would often uh, join with him and we'd make make Lego pieces together. And he's always saying to me that he wants to get me the Slave One, Boba mm-hmm. Fett's uh, spaceship, the, you know, the that big Lego one. set. I'm like, I re- really don't want it right now. <laughs> you know, I've got too much on my plate. The last thing I want to be doing is <laughs> spending hours putting together a um, Lego <laughs> of Bubba Fitt's uh, spaceship, but I'll probably enjoy Absolutely. it. So, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, the experience is important. It's individualistic. It's subjective. 
And that's that's why in most cases, yeah, everyone's ikigai will be unique and different, or in all cases, really. But moving on, you note that earning money holds significant practical importance in life. And that, of course, we need money. But do we need money for ikigai, or can, could money ever become a source of ikigai? So the, to answer your first question of is like money required for ikigai, the, of course, the answer is no. And of course, Miyako Kamiya has pointed out that, you know, you, you could feel ikigai with or without money. And I think it's more often without. Well, having said, you know, said another way, it's easier to find ikigai when you remove that money component from the, the framework. But to answer your second question, I do believe that some people can feel ikigai from earning money. So, that, and that's why I think that the ikigai Venn diagram may work really well for those type of people. So, earning, making the earnings or making living by working and earning money, that may be very, very important. You know, that if that ranks really high on their life importance, then that can be their ikigai. Yeah. Even um, Gordon Matthews, who wrote incredible book on ikigai, What Makes Life Worth Living, noted that, yeah, some people might have morally wrong or almost shallow sources of ikigai, like, like cigarettes or alcohol or or maybe money might might fit into that. I guess it's what you do with it. But, yeah, you know, if, if that cigarette helps you get through the day and if that first sip right. of beer <laughs> makes you feel good, then it, it can yeah. be your ikigai, which is interesting. <laughs> right. So I, I guess we're kind of saying that ikigai can have a negative effect when applied because it, it, it is a feeling. So if you have feeling towards something that you know that might lead over time to a, like you know a bad health, but then you, you you know you are applying it, that means yeah. So if it, that is, I believe that is you are still your ikigai. It's just that that ikigai may ultimately, you know, give you a shorter life. It's something unhealthy, but you still still do it, which a lot of people do, because it gives them that relief. It gives them That's that right. comfort. Um, so so wrapping up, has researching Ikigai become your Ikigai? <laughs> you know the answer. Absolutely, <laughs> yes. I mean, it, it's, it, you know, and then this goes back to the last point of our mother of Ikigai. And uh, I'm just going to go back so I can accurately describe, right? So Mieko Kamiya already said that Ikigai creates a unique spiritual world within which the holder may live freely. And I'm living in that kind of a spiritual world when I'm researching Ikigai. And and, and it kind of connects to some other you know, concept that a lot of people talk about, like flow, right? And And mindfulness. I know, I, I, I just immediately 
goes into that mode. And just the time, the sense of time goes away, and I'm re- reading, observing, kind of kind of a absorbing the concept, writing down some of the ideas I have in onto a note, and I've already kind of a, have stack of about three notes full of ideas that I may be able to shape it into some kind of again visuals and share with whoever wants to you know learn and use the idea or the, or the framework or the visuals. So absolutely. <laughs> well, I'd be interested in in learning from you and and seeing your notes and frameworks. So, yeah, let's keep sharing. Absolutely. You've recently become part of my community. Yes, thank you for uh, inviting me into your tribe. So look forward to the the coming weeks as we we start sharing. It's not so much about Ikigai, it's more about building a business, but we're kind of um, tying elements of Ikigai and positive psychology into the process because, um, yeah, building a business can be challenging. So I think if you tie in positive psychology and and use some strategies, um, it's very helpful. And who knows, like me, maybe your business (laughs) becomes a source of Ikigai. So, you know, researching Ikigai is my Ikigai, but also, you know, I get to connect to people like you and and, uh, I've got this community. So, yeah, Ikigai has definitely changed my life in, in many areas. And I'm just so grateful to Japan and the people of Japan. And, yeah, I, I can't wait to get back there. So I've got big plans for retreats and summits. So I'm, I'm sure you'll be a part of that, Kay. I'll be, I'll be more than happy to. I'd love to uh, help where, wherever I can. Awesome. Well, thank you for joining me today, and I'll, I'll speak to you soon. Thanks, Nick. This episode was brought to you by the Find Your Ikigai course. Developed in consultation with Japan's leading Ikigai researchers, the Find Your Ikigai course is the only culturally accurate and evidence-based practical guide to the Ikigai concept. To learn more about the Find Your Ikigai course, please visit ikigaitribe.com.